We're our second week into a series of lessons that we're calling All In. For most of us, it's a journey to the place where we want to be all in with God. It takes us a while to get there. Taylor talked about that a little bit. Being nurtured, seeds being planted. It takes a while for us to be even where we want to be all in. And then when we get there, when we get to the place where we want to be all in, it's still work and effort. It's a journey to live all in with God. A critical an unavoidable part of being all in is to be all in with our money, all in with our finances. So we said that we were going to start these lessons on being all in with talking about our money. You know, Jesus said at one point, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He knew how critically important an issue money was for us. So here's the good news. This is one area of our lives where we can actually exercise some control. We can actually exercise ourselves toward being all in. And it will, in fact, influence other areas of our lives. So, being all in financially, and we're going to talk about that for a couple more weeks. We'll look at a, a broader perspective on our finances. But being all in financially means giving. In part, it means giving. So last week, we gave three lessons, three ideas, three thoughts about why we should give to charitable causes. Today I want to give three more. So today we're going to talk about why should we give. We had the boys and girls in with us last week. And I said this last week, and I want to say this to the teenagers that are in here today. This is not just a lesson for adults. This is a lesson for our teenagers as well. So why give? Let's pray before we get started. Father, I thank you so much for Matthew and for Taylor and for their testimony and for your work in their lives. Thank you, God, for this beautiful picture of being all in with you. And Lord, we pray in advance of hearing this morning that we would be all in with our money. This is a tough area for us, God. I mean, we, we live in an expensive place. And there are a lot of demands on our money. So God, we pray that you would use this time to provoke us and to, to train us about what it looks like to be all in with you with our money. Lord, we open ourselves up to you right now. We break open our chests and we ask you to speak. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. So three reasons to be all in with your giving. Three reasons to give to charitable causes. Reason number one, giving frees you from the trap that money sets for you. Giving frees you from the trap that money sets for you. The Bible makes it clear that what we feel about money can lead us into a life-diminishing trap and can ultimately destroy us. 1 Timothy 6.9 says this, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge us into ruin and destruction. For some of us, the trap that money can set for us will be anxiety about paying for what our family needs now or might need in the future. For others of us, the trap that money sets for us will be about obsessing, you know, about the stuff that we want. For still others of us, our preoccupation with money will lead us into the trap of feeling insecure around others who have it. It may even cause us to dislike others for no reason other than that we're trying to protect ourselves because we don't have as much as others do or we're trying to protect ourselves from our own disappointment. 
Giving frees us from the trap that money sets for us. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, he says, listen to this. Command those who are rich. We looked at this last week, but let's look again. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. And he doesn't follow that by saying, because money's terrible. He says, no, because money is so uncertain. But tell them to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Giving frees us from the trap that money can set for us. You know what's really interesting about this lesson from Paul to Timothy? I want you to hear two paragraphs before this, but listen to this. I'll I'll just read a couple of sentences. And what I want you to listen for is what you don't hear. So listen carefully to this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And he goes on to make a fuller argument. Did you hear what the Bible didn't say? The Bible didn't say... Christians should not be aware of their own gain. Christians should always be sacrificing. Christians should be good simply for the reason of being good. In fact, they should never gain. Again, let me repeat, the Bible does not say that. This goes along with what we said last week about giving being a sure path toward sustainable happiness. I want you to listen to how one author, John Piper, puts this. I love this paragraph. He says, these verses, he's talking about this passage that I just read and this one that's on the board for us. These verses teach us to use our money in a way that will bring us the greatest and longest gain. They confirm that it's not only permitted but commanded by God that we flee from destruction and pursue our full and lasting pleasure. They imply that all the evils in the world come not because our desires for happiness are too strong, but because they are so weak that we settle for fleeting pleasures that do not satisfy ultimately our deepest souls, but in the end, in fact, destroy them. Giving frees us from the trap that money sets for us. We cannot be spiritually free, and we cannot be all in with God without being generous. We have to train ourselves and discipline ourselves to give to God-honoring causes. This frees us from the trap that money sets for us. Second reason that we should give. Ritualized and regular giving strengthens our connection with God. When we regularly give, the ritual of giving in our lives strengthens our connection with God. That's one of many reasons that on Gateway, every Sunday when we get together, at some point we'll get a basket and we'll pass it around and people will give. I said last week, some of you mail in checks to us or you, your bank will mail in checks to us and we're developing the capacity right now to be able to give online through our website. We do that not because Gateway needs a lot of money, P.S. Gateway needs a lot of money. But we do that because ritualized and regular giving strengthens our connection with God. Okay, follow me through this if you can. It's not because you can. It's because I haven't explained it very well. I don't have time to tease this out fully. But the Old Testament prescribes for us an elaborate system of sacrifices, offerings, and ritual gifts for those first followers of God. Some of you have read some of those passages and what you've honestly thought is good grief, that's incredibly boring. There are elaborate descriptions 
of when the gift is given, the monetary gift or the gift of grain or the gift of a lamb or the gift of a goat, there are elaborate descriptions about what the priest is supposed to do, how he purifies himself to prepare for receiving that gift, and then what they do with that gift, and then how the giver is supposed to treat the gift, and elaborate prescriptions for what gifts are acceptable and what gifts aren't acceptable. The first seven chapters of Leviticus, there's the fellowship offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, and then there are the feasts and the celebrations and how we're supposed to offer during the feasts and the celebrations. And then there's also Numbers 15, Numbers 18, and Numbers 28, where Various other kinds of sacrifices and offerings are described. The the regular tithe that they were supposed to bring of of all of their crops and every third year and then every every year and then every seven years and then again how they do the the feasts and what grain and what goats and what lambs to bring during this. It's exhausting. And then there are several independent sections in the book of Deuteronomy that describe elaborately this whole system. Here's the point I want you to get. I don't think I got this until I started looking at this in preparation for these messages. This is a significant part. This may even be the primary part of what God is talking about when he refers to his commands, his laws, and his decrees. So throughout the rest of the Old Testament, he talks about my commands, my laws, and my decrees. Whenever I've read that over the years, I've always thought, okay, that's the Ten Commandments, all those other weird behavior things. I think the primary thing that he's talking about is how it is that they worship him and give themselves to him. He spent elaborate time describing the sacrificial system, and a couple of these references come right after those descriptions. When he says, obey my commands, my laws, and my decrees, I think foremost in God's mind is that we are obeying the gifts that we give ritually and regularly to him. Every year. Every feast, every three years, every seven years, when we take it to the priest at the temple, what we offer to him, our firstborn goat, our firstborn cattle, the tenth of our grain. Let's go on. When God says, you must follow all of my commands, my laws, and my decrees, he's talking about following the system of sacrifices, offerings, and tithes. And repeatedly, and if you miss everything else, don't miss this. Repeatedly, God says, if you are careful to obey all of my laws, it will go well with you. Which is his way of saying, I will bless you. We're going to be connected. Deuteronomy 4.40, Deuteronomy 6.3, Deuteronomy 12.28. I'm just cherry picking. Many other passages. There are many passages in the prophets. Jeremiah 7.23, just to mention one. He says repeatedly, keep my decrees and commands so that it may go well with you. And your children. In other words, God firmly established the principle for us that ritualized regular giving helps maintain our relationship with him and enables him to bless us. I especially want you to see Deuteronomy 26. So let's just take one second and drill down on this one paragraph from Moses. This is kind of Moses' final instructions to his people. Deuteronomy 26, beginning with verse 16. So By the way, he has just, in the passage previous to this, described what's called the first fruits and tithes. This is a special, another special tithe that they were to give. So this is what Moses says in response to that. So the Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. 
Be all in. Okay, you have declared this day, when you do this, when you're all in, you have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in obedience to Him, that you will keep His decrees and commands and laws, that you will listen to Him. And the Lord has declared, so you've declared that you're with Him. You're all in. You'll follow Him. And He has declared that you are His people, His treasured possession, as He promised, and that you are to keep all His commands. He has declared that He will set you in praise, fame, and honor, high above all the nations He's made, and and that you will be a people holy to the Lord, peculiar, set apart, as He promised. So, by observing these laws and these decrees, they declared, and we declare, that the Lord is our God. And He declares that we are His people. That's what happens when we give. Ritually, regularly, we take out our wallet or we take out our checkbook and we write a check to Compassion International, International Justice Mission, Gateway Community Church. We drop it in the basket. We are declaring, you are my God. You are over everything. I'm all in, even with my money. And when we do that, he declares, that's my woman. (laughs) That's my man. That's what he said this morning. He looked at Matthew and he said, that is my man. And that's what happens when we give. He says, that's my woman. That's my man. Through ritualized regular giving, we strengthen our connection with him. Third and final. This is a little mercenary, but the Bible encourages us to be. I want to repeat that. Giving is reciprocated. Giving is reciprocated. Look at this. This is Jesus talking. This is from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Okay, so he's just going through a laundry list of things, but it's interesting the implications for us in this list. This isn't just obey and be good. This is be good because it's better for you. Live this life that Taylor's talking about that he feels like he's just getting into because it will go well for you. This is the way you were designed to live. You were designed to be generous. So don't judge and you won't be judged. Forgive, and you'll be the kind of person who gets forgiven. And by the way, give, and it will be given to you. And he dials down on this one. He wants to make sure we get it. It's going to be given to you. Look, a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wow. The Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' first followers, makes the same point, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul says, remember this. This is kind of like Paul's, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Okay, this is more than an encouragement to give. This is an encouragement to give big. I want to read an excerpt from an article that I saw last week in the Atlantic magazine. It's an article by Emily Smith, and I can't remember the name of the article, but it's from earlier this year. Listen to what she said. Nearly 70% of Americans cite work as a major source of stress in their lives. Some of this you'll have to ignore. It doesn't apply to you, but nearly 70% of Americans cite work as a major source of stress in their lives over 
50% of Americans report being unsatisfied and unhappy with their jobs. How can the typical worker find a little more satisfaction in work? He pauses for dramatic effect. So how can the typical worker find a little more satisfaction in their work? Adam Grant, a researcher at Wharton School of Business, offers some simple advice. Become a giver. Based on his research, Grant has identified three basic kinds of workers. There are takers, there are matchers, and there are givers. Takers see the workplace as a competitive dog-eat-dog place. If I don't look out for myself first, takers think no one will. Matchers believe that work relationships are governed by even exchanges of favors. In contrast, givers are other-focused, paying more attention to what other people need from them. Their hallmark is generosity at work. This is just a specific illustration of the larger principle that we're talking about. She goes on. Surprisingly, Grant has found that only 8% of people describe themselves as givers at work. That's because most people assume that in the workplace, givers will never get ahead in their career. Also, when people are stressed out at work, their first instinct is to retreat into a taker mentality. But Grant's research consistently shows that givers are among the most successful people in business. They may also be the happiest. Evidently, when we give, this is Emily Grant writing in The Atlantic. Evidently, when we give, it returns to us. So over the last two weeks, we've given six reasons why we should give to charitable causes. I'm going to read those in a second. But before I do, I want to let you know, next week I want to talk about how we give. What that looks like for a person who comes to Gateway Community Church to give in a ritualized, regular way. Literally how we give, and then how we should think about what to give. And I'm even going to cover some reasons not to give. Are there reasons that we should not be giving? And are there times in our lives when we should not be giving? We'll cover some of that next week. But I want us to feel especially motivated to give to God-honoring causes this morning. We've given six reasons. Giving to charitable causes, we said, is a sure path to sustainable happiness. The second reason we gave was when we give, we're actually more like God. Third reason, greed, which is the opposite of giving, is dangerous. Fourth reason, giving frees you from the trap that money sets for you. Fifth reason, ritualized regular giving strengthens our connection with God. And finally, giving is reciprocated. Okay, so why so much motivation to give? Let's wrap this up. It's hard. It's hard to genuinely be generous. In a couple minutes, Beth's going to come up and make some announcements for us. And she'll say, okay, ushers, come forward. This is me mimicking Beth. Don't come up yet. But she'll say, ushers, come forward, and some women and men will come forward, and they'll have baskets, and they'll pass it around. Let me tell you what will often happen. Oh, I got a 20 and a 10 and a 5, and I will give the 5. I'm not talking about giving out of what you don't need. I'm talking about giving. Giving so that you have to simplify to adjust to your giving. I'm talking about giving big because when we give big, big gets returned to us. And it's hard to give. It's hard to be generous. 
The average household income in Loudoun County in 2013, some of you have seen this statistic. The average household income in Loudoun County right now is $107,000. That is a lot of money. That's one of the highest averages in the country. By some estimates, it's the highest. So you and I should be living fat. I mean, we should be high on the hog. And some of us are. Except, we hasten to add, and we're right to do so, the median sales price for a new home in the United States last year was 271000 in South Riding, that figure was 450000 There are huge demands on your money and mine. It's hard to be generous. There are car payments and then car repairs. There are basic living needs and then there are enormous shelter costs, whether that's a mortgage or the cost of rent. Just try going out to rent, which our son Jordan is doing right now. It is a crime what they charge people for rent in this area. And if you have children, you have to feed them. It's really difficult to be generous. There are a lot of demands on our money. Second reason why we give, we spend two weeks talking about why give. Well, first of all, because it's really hard to give, and secondly, it's critically important to your spiritual life, and to your health. It's critically important to your children. It's critically important to your future. You can't be all in spiritually unless you are aware of the need for and are growing in your own generosity. I'm going to repeat that. You cannot be all in spiritually unless you are aware of the need for and are growing in your generosity. You can't be all in if you're not giving. And I think giving to the point that it costs something that it requires you to live more simply and more dependent on God. Now, some of you know a lot about money, but you don't know this most important lesson. Some of you have a lot of money, but you don't have peace because money can't buy that. All right, let me end with an illustration from a book entitled A Hole in the Gospel. This is by, I think his name is Richard Stearns. He says this pretty early in the book to kind of set up his argument through the rest of the book. And I love this story because many of you not only can relate, many of you have this story. I know from talking with some of you and praying with some of you and crying with a few of you, you have the story. In 1987, the largest single-day stock market crash since 1929 took place. We've had something very similar since, haven't we? In one day... My wife, Renee, and I lost more than one-third of our life's savings and the money we had put aside for our kids' college education. I was horrified, and I became like a man obsessed, each night working past midnight, analyzing on spreadsheets all that we had lost, and the next day calling in orders to sell our remaining stocks and mutual funds to prevent further losses, which, of course, turned out to be the absolute worst thing I could have done. I was consumed with anguish over our lost money, and it showed. One night when I was burning the midnight oil, Renee came and sat down beside me. Honey, she said, this thing is consuming you in an unhealthy way. It's only money. We have our marriage, our health, our friends, our children, 
and our good incomes, so much to be thankful for. You need to let go of this and trust God. Isn't that awful? He says, new paragraph, don't you hate it when someone crashes your pity party? (laughs) I didn't want to let go of it. I told her I felt responsible for our family and she just didn't understand. It was my job to worry about things like this. She suggested we pray about it. (laughs) Something that hadn't occurred to me. (laughs) So we did. At the end of the prayer, to my bewilderment, (laughs) to my bewilderment, Renee said, now I think we need to get out our checkbook and write some really big checks to our church and to ministries we support. We need to show God that we know that this is his money and not ours. I was flabbergasted. (laughs) I was flabbergasted at the audacity of this suggestion. But in my heart, I knew she was right. So that night, we wrote some sizable checks. We put them in envelopes addressed to various ministries and sealed them. And that's when I felt the first wave of relief. We had broken the spell that money had cast over me. It freed me from the worries that had consumed me. I actually felt reckless I felt giddy. God, please catch us, I prayed, because we just took a crazy leap of faith, and I feel free. And all God's people said, let's pray. So God, we are people who have a lot of means. But for most of us, Lord, our means is really committed And I pray today, Lord, a dangerous prayer for us. I pray that you would show us how we can be more generous. I pray that you would show us how to get creative with our finances so that we can give more away. I pray, Lord, that you would train us to be the kind of people who plan not for what we can buy, but for what we can give. I pray that you would train us to think, not about our own patio, but about poor people in the Dominican Republic and about homeless orphans in Africa and about people in our neighborhood who are far from you, whose lives are wrecked and are one constant anxious argument. People who need the love of God. I pray, Lord, that you would make us generous and train us to use our money in the way that would bring us the longest and deepest and most lasting pleasure that through our money God we would experience great gain I pray that you would make us outstandingly happy because of the way we're giving our money make us those kind of people Lord help us to be all in We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.